Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast with Raj. Thank you guys so much for all of the suggestions for the name of the pod. (laughs) But uh, Raj and I were talking last night and we have decided to stick with State of the Lakers. Uh, But I do appreciate all the suggestions. Raj, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. Doing well. Excited to do this uh, weekly. I think that's uh, it's kind of cool. I did see a suggestion yesterday. I thought it was funny. It said like up tempo rules, but I thought it was like pretty funny and creative. I yeah. think it was kind of late, but I thought that was I thought that was pretty dope. But yeah, I'm excited to do this, man. Uh, I think I think we both give a cool perspective on it and kind of can go back and forth. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And then consistency always helps. Uh, um, it just it, it's po- podcasting is really, really challenging, especially given the, oh, the yeah. distance between most of us. And so uh, finding some consistency, I think, is, is going to be fun. So today, you know, more or less, nothing has changed with the Lakers since Raj and I last talked on Friday. We kind of predicted everything that happened this last week. Um, but one of the, we were talking about ideas for the show today. And what we decided we would do is we would each give our three silver linings uh, of what we've noticed out of the Lakers during this bad losing streak. Because, you know, we've all seen a lot of negativity. There's good reason for a lot of that negativity. But there is some good that's kind of hidden in all of this. And that's what Raj and I are going to do. We're going to give our three silver linings. But I do want a quick start with uh, just uh, reiterating something that we talked about last Friday, just having to do with the fact that it doesn't really make a ton of sense to evaluate the long-term you know, success of this team based on what we've seen in the last week. And the example that I keep using is these role players. You know, if the, the Lakers very easily could make a couple of trades in the next few days for players of similar value that are more conducive to success without AD and Dennis Schroeder, right? Like you could trade mm-hmm. Alex Caruso for a better, you know, playmaking guard that might not be anywhere near as gifted defensively. You know, you could make a series of moves to try to, uh, to, to help win with that group. But there's no point because the ceiling with AD and Dennis Schroeder would shrink massively if you got right. rid of these guys. They make a ton of sense with the core guys. But as we saw, you're watching Alex Caruso running extensive you know, pick-and-roll actions. And I, it, there were even isolation plays for Alex Caruso, which was never happening. Markeith Morris post-ups where he's they're clearing aside and letting Markeith Morris go to, go to work. Like, yeah, I got news for you. If that's what they're doing, they're going to lose. But they're not going to be doing that when they have their guys back. So, I mean, I, I just want to keep reiterating the fact that there's really no point in over-evaluating uh, what's happening right now because all of these guys are being asked to do things on the court that they were never asked to do uh, with the way that that team was originally constructed. Right. Like you wouldn't ask your like gardener to be a chef, right? Like your gardener could probably cook. Like he probably goes home and has to cook, but like you wouldn't hire your gardener to be a chef. And that's kind of what's going on right now. You have guys up a role that, and some up two roles, right? Like you said, with Alex Caruso, he should not be doing ball handling or anything like that, but that's what he's fit into right now, running a ton of post-ups. Like you saw that last night, uh, Markeith Morris got a bunch of post-ups that uh, wouldn't happen in a regular game. So, yeah, these role players are specifically put in, or spe- specifically signed to play a specific role, and uh, when that doesn't happen, you get you get nights like we've been having the last few where the offense has just been cratered. I mean, it was it wasn't great before as well but i think right now we're in the bottom like 20 of shooting and we have all these guys going through slumps it's just tough to really evaluate anything that's gonna matter when uh the playoffs start or something like that for sure and like you know there 
there's a certain uh, uh, a demeanor that surrounds the team right now that I think is interesting. Like uh, my guy Vinay was talking about this the other day. There's like a you can tell they know they can't win with this group, at least not against good teams. But and that sucks because that's that's bad for morale. <laughs> but uh, uh, you could tell, like even last night or in the in the in the Jazz game, there was just this thing hanging over the team where you could tell they just knew they couldn't compete. Now for good reason uh, with the way that they're structured at like in that way. But yeah, you could just see it. You could see it. Now the, the one thing that I think is important to understand, like there's a lot of people that are, that, that are using this as ammunition to start taking shots at LeBron and to start taking shots at some of these role players and, and talk about, you know, uh, uh, Rob Polinka and the signings that he's made and all this stuff. And I would just continue to maintain that, you know, there's a game within the game here, which is that all of these guys are just trying to, hold down the fort until the real identity of the team comes back. Because you have to understand if Dennis had a season ending injury or if Anthony Davis had a season ending injury, then you go about the process of trying to find a new identity for the team. You know, it's like, okay, this is going to be us for a while. What's our new identity? Do we need to run more in transition? Do we need to, you know, experiment with specific lineups? Do we need to make a trade? But there's no reason to tinker with the identity because guys are coming back. So th- right. that, that's like the important detail of, of their strategy moving forward. There's just no point in kind of overthinking it in, in that regard. Yeah, and I was checking that the Lakers have still had the fourth best defense in the last 15 games, which is funny because Anthony Davis has missed the last six so, I mean, their identity still has changed. They just can't score. And you have every single person going to the same slump. And you can see, like, I know you're talking about the body language. <laughs> you can see LeBron, like, he would pass it and the guy would miss. He'd be like, man, I worked so hard to get that open look, right? Because he has to create every single shot. He's going in isolation. He's driving. He's kicking. And uh, guys are just missing. And then when Kuzma missed that one, I think it was before halftime. Or didn't take it. Sorry, he swung it to THG. And you could tell, like, he was just really upset about that. So, I, I don't blame him. I mean... This is a tough stretch. He obviously is frustrated and he wants to win and uh, he's playing every night. So yeah, they'll be fine. I feel like when once, as you said, AD and Schroeder get back, they'll they'll get back into the rhythm and uh, we'll get Schroeder back tonight. So yeah, he'll be a big boost for, for the offense going forward. Yeah, and let me use this real quick as an example to def- uh, as an opportunity to defend LeBron because so many people are <laughs> criticizing his offensive ability. So many people are criticizing his uh, uh, how how his struggles have have hurt his MVP case. Like I pointed out this number yesterday. Did you guys know that literally the Lakers have generated more uh, uh, more wide open, meaning defender closest defender is six plus feet away than all but four teams in the league during this stretch without Anthony Davis? They're generating wide open shots they're just hitting those wide open shots at a rate of 32 percent which would rank 29th in the league over that span so they're just they're generating wide open shots lebron's doing his job i mean he he's definitely let go of the defensive rope a little bit but he has to because he's got to create everything on the offensive end like there's just this these are throwaway games and, and and by the way, the late like it's not like any other MVP candidate is like taking the rope and just and grabbing it and running with it. It's like no, everyone's struggling. This is just going to be the low point in the Lakers season as a result of Anthony Davis's injury and as a result of Dennis Schroeder's COVID suspension. Like that's literally all there all there is to it. They're doing the best they can. It doesn't make any sense to evaluate them either. And and they're and like you know Caruso, for instance, hasn't been defending as well. And it's mm-hmm. like. 
it's like, what do you expect? Like this, this, the guy was literally shot out of a cannon as like a defensive wrecking ball for 17 minutes a night before this. And now he's being leaned on for half a game as like a primary ball handler, like his entire focus and role on the, uh, on the, on the team has shifted, which is a perfect segue to my first silver lining, uh, which is there was a lot of talk before the season and in the first month of the season about how Alex Caruso's play and Talon Horton Tucker's play was going to complicate things next summer for the Lakers as far as trying to resign them. And oh, I that's think interesting. Ironically, <laughs> both players have struggled in this stretch under larger roles. And mm-hmm. I don't want to like applaud struggles, but like if there's a silver lining here, it's I think both players have significantly limited their value in the offseason over the last week. Alex Caruso has shown that he's a different player when he's leaned on in a bigger role, which will affect what teams are willing to pay him. And Talon Horn Tucker has shown that he's still a few years away uh, from really being able to be leaned on. His defensive focus has gone off of a cliff as of late. And so if, if there's one silver lining, it's that all of these guys have, uh, particularly Talon Horn Tucker and Alex Caruso, have diminished some of their value, which may make it easier for the Lakers to resign them. What do you think? Yeah, that, that's a really fascinating way to think about it. I never even thought about that. I remember like people, well, THD was on just a crazy curve, right? Like he was not playing at all. Then he was like getting in and just having insane moments every single night. People are like, oh, will someone offer him four years 80, you know, just to, to mess it up. And that's not going to happen anymore. You could tell the league kind of figured him out. Um, and again, he's in a role that is even more than he was, right? Like his role is pushed up another level because of no AD, no shooter. He's the second best ball handler. Like that's, I mean, even at 20 years old, he's the second best ball handler on the team. And they're asking him to run, you know, units with LeBron off the floor, which is crazy for a 20 year old, right? He's driving pick and roll, driving it to go bear and being like, oh shoot, I'm like at the rim now, <laughs> <laughs> like by myself. So I, I think she'll be fine. Caruso, I, I feel like there was a little bit of like, even myself, I was like, you know, play him 30 minutes. Let's see what happens. Obviously, we see what happens. I, I think I would like him in a larger, I guess, more minutes in the same role, if that makes sense. Exactly. Like I would, more minutes yeah. the same defensive Exactly. Focus. Yeah. And he did, like, he got better as a shooter. I don't think he's this bad, and I don't think he's as good as he started, right? He was shooting 54% from three. That was never sustainable. That was not going to happen. He wasn't going to be Clay Thompson from three-point range. But uh, I feel like he is a better shooter than he showed. It just sucks that everyone's in the slump at the same time. So It's it, contagious. Even, like, it, exactly. And it exasperates the issue, right? Because now no one's hitting and Crusoe already doesn't get respected as a shooter. Even when he was shooting 54%, they were still coming off him. So I think you're right. I hope they keep both of them, but yeah, I want Cru- I would like Crusoe in a more minutes still, but the same role. He shouldn't be running screen roll actions um, going, uh, come, going forward. Yeah. And you know, I want to really quickly, like this is just as a little tangent when we're voting for all defense, why don't we factor mm-hmm. this kind of thing in? Because like for like I'll use Anthony Davis as an example. You know, I think he's a better defensive player than Rudy Gobert anyway. Although he floats sometimes through the regular season as of late, uh, but like like Alex Caruso looked like an all defense level player when he was strictly defending, and then suddenly right. he gets you know he gets thrust all these offensive responsibilities on him, and his defense kind of like like he's been hardly as effective on that end. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, 
why don't we factor that in? That always it blows my mind. Like, you know, you'll listen to some of these, uh, uh, you know, like the Hoop Collective or the Low Post or something, and they'll talk about how, oh, you know, well, this defensive player has, has been better this year than, you know, than LeBron or than AD or than, you know, Kawhi or some other defensive player. And it's like, yeah, but that guy doesn't have nearly as much else to work on and, and, and right. to, on his plate. And really, you know, if, if, you, if you strictly went up to somebody like LeBron or Kawhi or Anthony Davis and you said, I never need you to take a shot. I just need you to lock up on the other end. They would be devastating defenders. They would be devastating. And I just, I really, really think that that's something that needs to get factored in moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Anthony Davis is averaging, what, like 25 a game, right? Along with the defense. Rudy Gobert is at, like, what, 10, 11? Um, he just screens and rolls, so he can kind screens of focus on that. Screens and rolls. And, uh, that's wide open dunks. Yeah, so, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I never really thought about it that way, but... Um, yeah, they should probably factor that in, huh? Like into hmm. the defensive award. I don't see why not. Yeah. So what's <laughs> yeah. your what's your first silver lining? My first silver lining is that I, th- I feel like Trez got really comfortable. Um, I feel like he wasn't comfortable in the offense and even on defense uh, before Anthony Davis went out. And I, I just see him a lot more in the offense, in the flow. Um, he's obviously now getting his touches, but I just love how he's played. He, um, he didn't close a few games, even though I thought like he should have. But um, I, I feel like his just game has really uh, opened up without Anthony Davis. The last three games, 16 against Utah, 26 against uh, the Washington, 18 against the Heat. Um, he's rebounding as well. Um, over over seven plus rebounds in each of those um i liked how he switched i thought he's defended fine and uh he seems he's really comfortable now like you could see in the beginning of the season he would just stay at the dunker spot waiting for the ball begging for the ball um but now he's kind of moving around he somehow added a mid-range jumper um this offseason uh so i guess that's that's going in right now but and he's their offense i mean when when lebron's not creating they give it to trez and say here get a bucket and for the most part he did. Um, he still has his like defensive kind of issues at sometimes, but um, I, I really like how this. I hope he plays this kind of same aggressiveness when AD comes back. Um, I think they need him uh, as a shot creator uh, in that second unit. We'll see uh, as far as his aggression goes because I talked about yeah. this uh, with Tommy in the pod on Wednesday. But like, he, that's part of the role expansions that 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 have been happening to right. these role players. Is all of a sudden Trez is like a twenty point a game. A, like high usage guy, which, you know, I, ideally he probably shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I, what I do agree with you in the sense that like, you know, there was a lot of talk after what happened in the series against the nuggets, which was an embarrassing moment for Montrez, even though there's a lot of context there. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of uh, talk about, you know, whether or not the Lakers would be able to find a way to make him useful on a contender. Right. And I believe the Lakers have. And the answer is really simple. He's absolutely deadly in offensive mismatches. So if you can get him switched onto a smaller guy, he's as much of a, a sure thing as possible as much as far as like getting a layup or getting fouled. And then on defense, we figured out now the Lakers have through trial and error that he cannot be floating around as like a, as someone who's in drop coverage or any sort of uh, like loose coverage where he's kind of floating in space because he just doesn't. He doesn't anticipate things well enough, and he's not big enough Mm -hmm. around the rim as a primary defensive player. But the Lakers have figured out that he can thrive in the chaos. when he's Because he's so quick and because he's so athletic and he's so long and his motor is so good, if you get him defending in space or he's chasing guys off the line and he's flying around in rotations, he's actually an extremely valuable defensive big, even more so than Dwight and JaVale were in similar roles. So I think that I 100% agree in the sense that like it makes a lot of sense to me 
that the Lakers have figured out, you know, ways to make Montrez into somebody that was successful in a way that he couldn't be with the Clippers. Yeah, he's much better when he's in like a defensive stance, right? When he's coming off. I hate when like he can't be the back line of your defense. He just like those minutes with him and Markeith Morris, it's just bleeding points. Like there's just no there's no point of that because they're both not rim protectors. They're both undersized as well, even for their positions. And uh, when Trez is coming off in a drop coverage, it's pretty much he's not he's not uh, stopping the ball handler from getting the rim or he's not covering the big that's getting a lob. And, man, against Utah, it felt like they were just walking through, man. it That's what annoyed me about the Utah game. I understand we were, like, not talented at all. I don't know your point about this, but I was getting upset because it felt like they were in a walkthrough, like in a – like, you know, a morning shoot around. Like, it was literally Conley, screen roll. They know exactly where the help is coming. Pass to the corner shooter, wide open three. I'm like, what What are we even doing here? What's the point even getting on this plane and coming to Utah if you're going to play that way? Because they're just going to destroy you. Some of those shots, though, man, they didn't even hit. I've never seen, like, Mike Conley, I don't think his shot hit rim last night. Like, that night, it was just swishing through. So, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad Trez is getting a little more comfortable comfortable here. Yeah, with the, with Utah, like it was a textbook case of like the Lakers kind of came in and let them get comfortable early, and then, like I mean, th- this is any decent sized shooter. Like I'm I'm six foot six, and I've got about a six ten wingspan. If you let me get a rhythm, there's just no one that can stop me shooting the basketball because I'm too tall. Well, like when you've got Joe Ingles who's six seven, and Eve Royce O'Neal's the short one who's like six five or whatever it is that he is, and and uh, uh, Bogdanovich I think is six eight, and you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell can jump out of the gym. So, like, with these, all these big, tall shooters, when you let them get their confidence, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter how much you defend. And that, that's what happened in that game is they let them get comfortable early and they made some shots. And then it became like they're showing off. They're just, they're, yeah. they're, they're just, they're just riding that confidence wave, hitting tough shot after tough shot after tough shot. Like, that's why it's so important early in a game to make a team feel uncomfortable. Now, as far as Frank's scheme, I agree with you. I don't really like uh, uh, the way they've been doing their pick and roll coverage this year because to me it's too much of an in-between thing where yeah. last year they were in a full drop coverage and this year uh, they're – and then in the playoffs they did like a trapping scheme and then this mm-hmm. year they've been in kind of more of like an in-between scheme. Uh, they call it a catch hedge. It's uh, right. uh, something that, that Guy Cran just is always talking about on Twitter. But like it's kind of like an in-between thing and I don't really like it and I think it's part of the reason they've had some struggles – but this team we know can thrive in rotations and, and sprinting yeah. around the floor. And you could just tell to start that game that they just weren't really all the way dialed in uh, uh, in that respect. And then once Utah got their confidence, they ran off with it. As far as Trez go mm-hmm. real quick uh, before we move on to the next one, you know, the, the reason why like rim protectors are usually so tall and uh, a guy like uh, a guy like Montrez struggles in like head up rim protection because Trez is good as like a secondary rim protector. Meaning like yeah. if, if a guy's driving to the basket and a guy's on his hip and he's changing the shot and then Trez can really load up and come flying in and block it, he can get yeah. some block shots at the rim. But Definitely. when you when you're a primary rim protector, meaning like the guy's coming at you, like he's already beat his defender and you're the only thing standing between him and the rim. It's not as simple as just jumping as high as you can because the, usually most offensive players are going to find a way to get into your body. So that's mm-hmm. where these like really big guys like Marcus Saul uh, it was the reason why Vogel went with him at the end of that game against Washington the other night. But like Marcus Saul or like a Dwight Howard or or like a, a Rudy Gobert is there so they can actually defend while standing up. 
So right. uh, essentially, like a guy jumps into their chest and kind of takes away their jump. It doesn't matter because they just kind of stand there with their arms up and extend over the top, and they can they can get block shots and they can change shots. That's why it doesn't make sense to use Trez in any sort of drop coverage or anything that has him kind of waiting for guys around the basket. It's just a waste. And you know, the, the Draymond's an anomaly in that sense, and I think it has to do with because he's so strong that when guys yeah. actually run into his body, they lose all their lift. But Trez doesn't have that that kind of strength. Um, defense also is a communication thing right like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of lineups that just do not play together and Trez does a lot of like when someone scores he goes like oh you were supposed to be there right like there's a lot of that I see that after someone scores and just a communication thing that's going on Um, him and Kuzma have a weird defensive chemistry where like he always thinks Kuzma's supposed to be helping or Kuzma thinks Trez is supposed to be helping and those two really you could tell kind of go at it um, on the court that way so I feel like when the lineups kind of get more stuck um, they'll be fine. THT overhelps a lot. You could tell that annoys his teammates. He, he'll lose like the guy that's hit six straight threes. It's just hilarious. He'll be, he'll be in the paint while like Joe Ingles, who just hit two in a row, is wide open. You're like, oh, what are you doing? You could see it get frustrating. And uh, yeah, like last night after after they got down by like 15, that game was over. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't I don't want Trez to be the back line for sure. Uh, he should be playing with AD or you know I don't see him playing a lot with Mark. But yeah, they, they know how to use him. Vogel knows what he has has in Trez. The uh, the THT thing with uh, with overhelping has been a problem with him all season, and that's going to yeah. be something he's got to figure out because there's a balance there, and this is something that Caruso does so well uh, mm-hmm. uh, early from time to time. Uh, he last year he was kind of bad in help defense, uh, but he's been better this year. But like uh, KCP is actually a better example, K- uh, and Dennis is really good at this too. Where it's like they're they're in uh, kind of like a, a shell drill type of position where they're halfway right. uh, halfway to the ball, but their weight is on their inside leg, so they're prepared to quick close out. So it's almost like he's only there to discourage the drive, and he's already planning on closing out on the on the shooter, and that's something he has to get better at. But the biggest thing that bothered me with THT, and the, so the, 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 be- the best comp that I could use for somebody like him with his body type is like an Eric Gordon mm-hmm. as far as like really strong in his shoulders, not overly tall, but has really long arms. Eric Gordon does an amazing job fighting over the top of screens using his strength. And what yeah. was so frustrating with THT in that game is, you know, he got matched up on on uh, Connolly and and Clarkson a lot in that game, and he just did he just did a really poor job fighting over the top of screens. And like, it's one thing, on yeah. yeah, it's one thing if you're a skinny guy and you struggle, but like you're strong and you've got a mm-hmm. really wide base. You can fight over the top of these screens with your strength, and then you use your length to bother the shooter from behind, and that it, it, and that's right. what you know, like Tony Allen used to do so well in his career. And it's just, I, I think there's he has defensive potential uh, uh, that, that goes on for days, and it's going to be really exciting to see what he turns into. Uh, but I, yeah, it was it was not a pretty night. It was not a pretty night for him for sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but so my second silver lining is was that ironically um and this is just part of the laker experience with how you know uh you know how uh you know polarizing they are uh and part of this has to do with you know being a fan of any team you have a tendency to kind of get stuck in the fishbowl and only pay attention to what's happening to you but everyone's struggling and i I talked about this with with tommy the other day but i mean the clippers went into uh, uh memphis last night and got worked like got beat like 
handily with all their mm-hmm. guys. You know, like yep. it, it. You know, Philly. Uh, uh, Philly got a win last night, but they've dropped I think five games in their last twelve, if I remember correctly, or something like that. I can't remember exactly for sure. Denver lost again last night to Washington, who, by the way, is beating everybody. Uh, ironically, the Clippers are the only team who was able to kind of handle them the other day. Um, uh, but everyone's struggling. And the Lakers, after all of this, like probably the worst stretch they've had in the last two seasons, absolutely the worst stretch they've had in the last two seasons, they're a half game back, a second place in the West. In second base, a second place in the whole league, they're half game back. And so I think if one silver lining I would say is that, like, you know, with, with everything that's happened, everything is still uh, on the table for the Lakers. Now there's six losses back of Utah, so the one seed might be a little bit tough. Uh, uh, but they're, they're, they're right there in the thick of things. They're still in a position where if they do beat Utah, they could have home court advantage in the NBA finals, um, because they have a better record than all the teams out East. Uh, so it's one of those things where for as bad as things have been, uh, there's still a lot of opportunity here to salvage this regular season. Yeah, it's crazy. Cause I- it's weird. When I see like the Clippers lose, I feel like it puts less pressure on the Lakers again on their next game. Like every single time they lose, somehow the Clippers just lose again or the Suns lose. I think the Suns lost, um, to, forgot who they just lost to in a close game. But, um, yeah, when you, when you see the standing, the Hornets, man, it's right? crazy. The Hornets, yes, yes. Lamella yeah. went, Lamella went insane. But, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy looking at the standings that they're still tied. I mean, the Clippers have had all their guys, I think, back for a little while now. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that just shows how they started the season, right? It, it felt like doomsday, but the Lakers still had, like, a four-game lead. I think they've lost that. But um, it's tied second place. What's great about this, because I feel like you watch the rest of the league a lot more than I do. I kind of watch the Lakers um, a lot more than other teams. So do you see, like, a same similarness? Or is it just, like, is everyone tired? Or is it, like, uh, I catch, like, the highlights a lot. I, I don't really watch the full games of other teams. But uh, at least from what I saw, because I watched that whole Clippers-Memphis game and it felt like the Clippers issues kind of just tumbled on themselves. They're a big time jump shooting team. I don't want to talk about them a lot, but I feel like Zach Lowe said they're like 29th in the rim scoring. And I know this is like a um, thing that you really hold true to believe that the teams in the playoffs get to the rim, right? They score at the rim and they can draw free throws and they get easy shots like that. And the Clippers well, they are derive, what, They derive their perimeter attempts from putting pressure on the rim. That's the key. Correct. Points. Correct. And then PG and Kawhi take a lot of those mid range twos. When they go in, it looks absolutely beautiful. But like they're, again, 29th scoring at the rim is a really low number for a team that's that good championship level so that was interesting when i was watching that memphis game they were just bricking and then memphis got out and ran um they actually picked on uh, the drop coverage of zubac and us uh, i think surge was like five of his last 28 from three or something i saw he's really gone cold as well so the whole league um is kind of going yeah my question to you is like do you see a similar thing that's going on? Because the Lakers, it's a more of like who they're out, right? And then you could see them starting to sleepwalk. Is that what's going on in the rest of the league? I'm seeing these close games, seeing Washington run Dem- Denver. That was just an awful last play. I feel like that was that was like that four on one. I don't know if you got to, if, if you caught. Yeah, that, oh yeah, but, uh, no, I saw. It. I saw it's <laughs> one of the one of the most crazy things I've ever seen in my life. And Dude. the basketball IQ of Michael Porter Jr. on that play did literally have a dunk. Like the only explanation I can think of is they didn't know time and score. That's yeah, because my, I can think of. I'm thinking like that's his transition principles, though, right? Like, obviously, that's you got to know time and score. You got to go to the rim. But I feel like in a regular transition, his job is to get to that that weak that weak side corner. So then the rim run comes, but he just forgot that you know it's two seconds left. That's a bonehead play for him. But that's what I was just thinking. That's my idea of what happened well, there. 
they they train you from high school on yeah. in any form of organized basketball that you fill lanes and transition. So yeah. the first guy up the floor always runs to the basket. Right. The next two guys run the wings. And then yeah. the last guy always trails. That's been the same at every level at every basketball team I've ever played on ever. And I would imagine they still teach that in the league. Yeah. Uh, the only time you'd run to the wing if you were the first guy down the floor is if the guy ahead of you was the ball handler and you were yeah. trailing the play. It just didn't make any sense to me. That's why I thought maybe time and score, but or or just literally the biggest brain fart in the history of basketball. <laughs> but that was that was bizarre. But as far as what you're saying, and real quickly yeah. about the Clipper, real quickly about the Clippers, the uh uh this is what worries me about them with the nets is like, you know, isolation is stagnation when it's leading to strictly contested jump shots. However, and, and like you said, the, the Clippers are 29th in the league or whatever in rim attempts. So that's something that's a real problem for them is they have a tendency to strictly lean on jump shooting. So right. what I like about the Lakers or the Sixers in a matchup with Brooklyn is when they would get into isolation, it would be, Ben Simmons doing rip throughs going all the way to the rim on like a Kyrie Irving in a switch or a Joe Harris in a switch, or it would be LeBron James doing the same thing as a post-up player, or it'd be Anthony Davis getting a mismatch on the glass while LeBron's got a center on him and getting an offensive rebound putback, which is something he did an amazing job of in the playoffs last year. If you remember, especially against Miami, that was where he had his biggest offensive impact. So like, that's where I think, uh, uh, like you can beat a team that gets heavy into switching because uh, isolation score uh, isolation uh, as a defense uh, uh, trying to force isolations as a defense is great if you can force them into taking jump shots, but it can be a huge problem if you're just getting beat up around the basket. Um, as far as the, the the schedule goes, like let's be clear, what's happening to the Lakers is not what's happening to some of these other teams because right. they literally can't win. Like they were going into that game against Utah, like. We can't beat these guys. They would lose to Portland tonight if Dennis wasn't playing. That's how that's how poorly constructed this roster is without Dennis and AD. I truly believe that. Um, what's happening to all these other teams is more a product of just ridiculous depth around the league. Like Charlotte's mm-hmm. good. You can lose to Charlotte. Really good. Mm-hmm. Washington's good. Like Washington's beaten everybody. They beat. I just I listed it the other day. Like they beat the Nuggets. They beat uh, – uh, I think they beat the Nuggets twice, actually. I have to double-check. But they beat Boston. They beat uh, the Lakers. Like, the Clippers are literally the only team they've lost to in the last, like, two and a half weeks. So, like, all of these teams that you're playing are so good that if you bring lackadaisical effort, you're going to get beat. And in, yeah. and I think in every regular season, every team goes through bouts of lackadaisical effort. And so yeah. with the depth of the league now, that's just more likely to get you beat. And that's what's been so interesting about Utah is like it doesn't make sense for them to be trying as hard as they are. They're trying harder than every team in the league, like by a pretty significant margin. I, when's the last time you saw them come out and lay an egg? Like, well, they, got, they got something to prove. And uh, when, they, when you have every shot going in, too, I feel like it's tough. But like I, I think like you said that we're like, what, five games down right now in the standings. Yeah. Um, I remember last year, uh, Milwaukee, I think, had like a – six game lead um i think by the all-star break as well and then then before you know the covid uh ended the season i think the lakers were one game back uh they caught milwaukee 
because I think every team does go through a cult. Utah's gonna lose. Like it's they're not gonna play like the seventy three win Bulls. I feel like they're. I, I just don't see them that kind of roster, that kind of team. Um, the shooting is gonna go cold eventually, but they just have a ton of guys who just who have no conscience from three. And when you do that, and then they obviously are feeling good. Um, Mitchell and Gobert are young enough. They don't. They're not like oh, I have to save myself for the playoffs. So they're gonna go hard every night. I think. I, I wouldn't compare him to like the 2015 Hawks. I feel like Mitchell's better than whoever's on that team, but it kind of feels that way. It feels like a team that's running through the regular season. Um, you as watching the Cavs a lot, you saw those Raptor teams that would really kill in the regular season too. Right. And then, and the playoff comes and uh, games change that space that you get is like a little tighter. Um, I remember watching like DeRozan, his mid range pull-ups just don't go in as much when, when the games tighten up. So that, that's kind of how to feel about them. Uh, but they're a good team. They're, they're going to go hard every night. I don't think they're, they're going to let up at all, but I do think they'll start, They'll go through a losing stretch. I don't know if that'll be enough for the Lakers to catch them, um, but we'll we'll see. So I I do think it's like what they're doing is impressive. Like I I, I never yeah. want to you know undercut winning, but I I still think the Milwaukee Bucks are the best example of them in the sense that like you know I saw this stat that got thrown around on Twitter a couple it was like a week ago it was when they were the Bucks were in that losing streak. Like yeah, going back to like February of last year the bucks were below 500 i they might have creeped back above 500 with this recent winning mm-hmm. streak that they're on um but they like they've been more or less an average basketball team for a long time and i think i think it has to do with scouting like when you, you when you watch a team like when you watch brooklyn for instance like you can really see why they're winning they just have this huge talent advantage and their defense is bothering people because it forces them into isolation and causes stagnation and blah blah blah, blah. uh but when you watch like utah it's like it's kind of gimmicky it's this defense where Rudy Gobert is camping around the paint and no one has really explored the ways to get him out of the paint. And they just put relentless uh, 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 pressure on you from the three point line, which causes, you know, this kind of cascading effect of driving lanes where it's like drive and kick and drive and kick and drive and kick. And then somebody gets open. And then once they get a little bit of confidence, they just start bombing away and they can, they can blow people out. But over time you're going to see scouting play a role. Uh, This grueling schedule in the, in the second half of the season might get them. All it takes, like kind of like what happened with the Lakers, who were shooting so well to start the year and then suddenly went into the slump. All it takes yeah. is like a little tough break with your schedule, and you could go into a slump yourself. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the Jazz, by the way, were you know they've been winning anyway because of injury luck. They keep playing all these teams without their best players. <laughs> like, I, like they played Philly without Embiid. You know, they they yeah. lost to the Clippers with their guys, and then beat the Clippers when Kawhi and Paul George didn't play. You know, they played uh, right. the Bucks without uh, Drew Holiday. They played the Lakers without Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder. Like, I don't really know what to make of them. But they're going to end up going on some Eastern Conference road trip where they're going to play, like, Philly, Boston, and Brooklyn back-to-back-to-back in one week. And they're going to get their ass kicked. And it's and that, and that's going to be what kind of brings them down to earth. Um, I, I They're a good team. Uh, uh, I just I, – I refuse to believe that uh, uh, that either the or that the Lakers would lose to them in a playoff series, I just refuse to believe. Uh, what was your yeah. second silver lining? Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, I didn't I didn't know you were going to go with the Crusoe and THT um, kind of. Uh, low, and I wouldn't say lowering their value, but I guess showing like what they are in the league kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of wrote down the opposite. I think this gives like Schroeder a real like, hey, so I am the ball handler. Like I am the secondary offense. I need to be aggressive. I hope this. I don't think I think this will do that. I think this shows his importance to the team, not just for fans, but like to the coaching, to him to like know that uh, he's he's like a big part of what they do on offense. Um, And I hope this kind of gives him the uh, confidence to be more aggressive. I feel like this is 
this open open things up for him. I'm not sure he'll get the extension right away um, that he's looking for, but uh, I think this shows like, yeah, I'm I'm a big part of this offense, and when I'm not there, that the team really struggles. And uh, yeah, I th- I think it'll give him a, a big boost here um, going forward because you can see his role. Like he would be aggressive some games, and he'll have some like four for eight shot games, which should should not happen. He should not be taking less than eight shots a game. Um, go, so I hope this kind of makes him aggressive. I think he he might have some rust tonight. I don't know what you think, like, you know, being off for like four games. Uh, yeah, because he's not even allowed into the facility, I don't think. Right. So uh, I think he's going to be a big boost. I think uh, he help, he helps just normalize the offense uh, in a big way. So that, that's my other silver lining here is that, like, hopefully Schroeder really realized, like, oh, yeah, I'm a big part of this team. Like, this, this is why they signed me uh, to be a big uh, offensive hub here. So you actually make an interesting counterpoint. Any money that they save with Caruso and THT, like <laughs> if I'm Dennis, I'm like, give me the money, man. Because like, and now would be the time to ask for it more than ever. It kind of reminds me, I'm a Cowboy fan. It kind of reminds me of what's happening with Dak Prescott. But uh, uh, anyway, like, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like there, there's, there, uh, it's never been more apparent how important he is to that team. And it goes to show you yeah. how like, even with as bad as Rondo was last year, and you and I, I think are both, rondo truthers in the sense that we don't think he's very good but right. it's just so it's so important to have coherent ball handling on the floor and you know it's what it kind of like slides down a, a food chain right so like everybody on the lakers is like one or two levels too high on the food chain and mm-hmm. by putting dennis Schroeder in there it just slides everybody down the food chain it gets back into a position where LeBron can be a role man, where he's had a lot of success. There's been a, a Zach Lowe actually talked about this on his podcast the other day, but it's something that I've been seeing all year, which is, you know, and LeBron used to do this with George Hill in Cleveland in particular, used to do with, uh, uh, with Kyrie as well. When you put LeBron as a pick and roll man, uh, as, the, yeah. as the screener, uh, uh, he's deadly. And he does that a lot with Schroeder and has had a lot of success. Um, but yeah, I know I'm, I'm excited to have him back. I think, you know, I think people are going to be stunned at how quickly the Lakers start playing better with Dennis Schroeder. I cannot possibly overstate how his loss was. It's just, it's a classic example of how when we are evaluating basketball teams, we get so caught up in, in just factoring in overall talent. And we, and I, you and I beat this drum nonstop last year with the Clippers, but like how much we forget that like, this is a team sport. It's yeah. like, there's a reason why we sit there and go like, oh, well, the all forwards lineup is getting killed. And, you know, this lineup that has Caruso, KCP and, and you know, Wes Matthews or whatever and LeBron, they, they're killing everybody. It's like, oh, well, because it's never a one on one sport. It's a it is a five man unit that kind of moves in unison with everything that right. they do. I talked about this yesterday a little bit about like defensive metrics and like silly things like, oh, like you know, so-and-so or offensive players are shooting this percentage when Andrew Wiggins is guarding them or like, you know, LeBron is when he's guarded by Steph in the finals shot this percentage or Kawhi or whatever it is. And it's like, it, there is no such thing in a five on five basketball game as a one-on-one play. If I'm posting up and I have a, uh, a, a player that that's one pass away, that is a dead eye shooter. And I have a stretch big who's in the opposite corner. That's keeping help out of the paint. The defender's at a huge mis- a disadvantage. But if I'm playing and there's one bad shooter on the floor or a, a, a non-floor spacing big or one guy in help is like a little bit more shaded to my side, all of a sudden I can only drive right. Now the defender can sit on my right hand 
or be mentally mm-hmm. prepared for me to make a move right. And now he's been put at a big advantage. And I just hate when we oversimplify things. And Schroeder's just a perfect example of that. A really, what, like maybe a top 70 player in the league? Like top yeah. 60 player in the league? Like he's, no one is even considering him as even close to an all-star. But he is immensely valuable to what the five-man units do for the Lakers. Immensely valuable. Yeah. And, and and what we talked about too, like, but I don't know. I I don't. I think LeBron hung a minus twenty against Utah, so <laughs> I don't think he still is a positive. But he's been. He was actually a net positive without Schroeder and AD all season before last night's game. I would imagine he's kind of close to zero or slightly below zero. But yeah. that's that's the thing too. Like just having it so that you can stagger those guys as well will go a long way towards uh, helping them win games uh, uh, overall as well. Yeah, and they were like five and one without AD, I think, and then when Schroeder went out, now they're like five and four without both of them. Um, he's a really big part, and I feel like they've been defending like Sands Utah because that was just that was gone before they landed. But I feel like they've defended well enough. I mean, against Washington, they got up seventeen, and then just completely again that's that phrase that we use like they don't put their foot off the gas; they just get out of the car. They're like, we're we're done here. We've got we've gotten to where we need to go, and uh, Washington got going. But I feel like they defended well enough. Um, obviously AD helps the defense a lot, but they've still been what fourth in defense. Like I said earlier, um, they depend on, they just can't get any buckets. I mean, Bradley Beal was just taking getting to the rim, scoring at will on KCP. And when you can't score back, LeBron's taking step back threes to try to, um, help the offense. So yeah, shooter's a big part. Um, I, I thought he was like all-star level to start the year. He was like 17 and like six. I think I, he's not going to make the all-star team, but I thought he was playing like a star level for this, for this squad. I hope he can get back to kind of get back to that. And his just aggressiveness, his like flow, his swag, like that really helps the team. Like you could tell when he gets a switch, he gets all excited. And uh, he, he score when he scores on the big, gets the team going, things like that really help them when they just have nothing. Teams can just load up on LeBron. And when there's, when there's no shooting around, you have guys that just aren't aggressive um, going to the basket who can't attack the rim. So yeah, he's, he's a, one he's of their best part. defenders too. Exactly. Yeah. And his point of attack defense um, is, is huge. Um, he's, he has a lot of good chemistry on defense with uh, with AD as well. So, yeah, he's going to be missing. He, they're going to need him against Dame tonight. I mean, Dame's been uh, I think the Blazers, Blazers have lost three in a row, four in a row or something. But um, Dame, Dame's going to come in. He always cooks at Staples Center. He takes it personal for some reason. I don't know why that he just loves at- attacking us. So um, him and Shul- Yes. Yeah. Portland beat us. I mean, we were up big, I think, on Portland as well. And I think uh, they, they came back and, uh, and beat us. So they're gonna, he's going to be really needed tonight. Yeah. One of my favorite Dennis Schroeder memories from the season was the Oklahoma City game, the first one, where Shea Gilgis-Alexander mm-hmm. was just barbecuing him all game long. <laughs> right. And then he got the two biggest stops of the game on him that sent the game to overtime, that, that the post-up play where he forced him into that really tough floater and then the play where he got beat off the dribble and then just had this absurd recovery play where he was like way behind and then just like did a one, two step, took off his left foot and just like blocked him from behind. Uh, he just has this competitive energy to him. And then kind of yeah. similar to that food chain thing we talked about earlier, having him as your primary point of attack defender against a Dame or against like really any point of attack guard like Mike Conley, it just slides all of the other Laker defensive players down the food chain guarding inferior yeah. players and allows them to be more successful. Um, So my third uh, silver lining is that LeBron looks great physically and he, you know, he's still slumping with his jump shot, which I think is a product of a lot of things. It has to do with overall uh, workload 
uh, and just how that wears down his legs. Uh, one thing that I've really noticed is one of the reasons why LeBron has had a lot of success in his career as a jump shooter, even though he's not the most skilled player in the world, is that defenses have to play off of him a little bit um, yeah. as, a, as a result of him just being a, a freight train to the basket. Uh, but one thing I've noticed, which I think is actually really interesting, is after the AD and Schroeder injuries, the, uh, the, the defenses have been able to pack the paint a little bit more. Uh, and as a result of that, when you've got help defense behind you, the primary defender can get a little bit up into LeBron's space. And you notice this a lot with Hachimura and uh, uh, even against Utah as well. Um, when you can actually ball pressure any guard and, and, there's, yeah. and there's a ton of help behind you, it's hard to shoot because now you're like, you have to do some move to get separation, like a step back or a sidestep or some sort of other move. Whereas like a lot of what LeBron was doing successfully as a jump shooter, when the team was at full strength was there's such offensive firepower on the floor that the, there's not as much help. And now that primary defensive player has to go underneath the screen. The primary defensive player has to give a little bit more space to, to, to deal with LeBron's driving lane. He's just a little more comfortable with his jump shot. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, however, physically he looks great. I, my guy Maples has been absolutely shredded for this, uh, that tweet that keeps getting brought up about, uh, uh, and we all have our moments, so I'm not talking trash, but he had that tweet where he was like, oh, Rich Paul gave us the Bentley with 500,000 miles. There was some concern. <laughs> there was concern coming into that signing. Like, like LeBron's old, like this yeah. could go south. This could be the guy we pay a million dollars to, to just have the, the late Kobe years kind of thing. You know what I mean? And he looks more athletic now than he did uh, uh, in any of the previous two seasons. He had, he had that one transition dunk against Denver before halftime that literally looked like he was prime Cleveland LeBron. Yeah. He had another dunk against Utah coming down the lane uh, the other night yeah. where I was just like, geez, what in the world is going on with this guy? So the, uh, there is a, a sense of optimism that I would take from all of these losses which is, you know, LeBron struggled with trying to score with this very limited offensive group, although he still, as we talked about earlier, is generating a lot of really high-quality shots. But uh, LeBron looks great. And, and, and when this team is at full strength, if LeBron I, – I said this uh, – I tweeted this the other day. Did you guys know that LeBron, in year 18, he's shooting a higher percentage right now from every area of the floor than he did last year? He's shooting a higher percentage at the rim. He's shooting a higher percentage from mid-range. He's shooting a higher percentage from three, even after this ridiculous slump. <laughs> and he looks more athletic than he did in year 17 when he was second MVP voting. And I, in my opinion, should have won. So like this guy's better uh, than he has been. I mean, the last week's been weird, but like, I, I think that's something to derive a lot of confidence from if you're a Laker fan. Yeah, he, he looks awesome. Do you remember like he was early in the season, he was getting like corner three attempts and we're like LeBron getting corner three attempts. Like he's getting a catch, shoot, look at the, look at the laces on the ball and then take the shot. He's even betting with his teammates on the corner. He's going to make it. He's not getting those anymore. There's no, no one else driving and kicking, allowing him to do that. I like, that's why his shots kind of go down. He's taking a lot of like step back threes against switches, but yeah, man, he looks awesome. He can get to the rim whenever he wants. I remember after the Brooklyn game, um, someone asked him like, Oh, did you have trouble with their switching? He's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, I know exactly how to beat that. Like, when it matters, like, I, he's like, I got whatever I wanted. Like, I think he shot, like, 18 for 30 or something. He's like, I got whatever I wanted. I can get to the rim when I want. So, no, it's no problem for me. And against Utah, too, like, I have no 
worry about him. He got to the rim when he wanted. I don't think I'm mean, Rudy Gobert is a good defender. I just don't think he stopped LeBron for doing what he wanted to do. He got to the basket. He still finished. He got and ones when he wanted to. He obviously he didn't have his foot on the gas the whole time. Uh, I think his defense has kind of stepped back a little bit, but um, yeah, he looks that awesome. Was the most wanted, predictable thing ever. The defense yeah. stepped back. Like he needed this thing. This, this thing I wanted to ask you, because people are talking about his minutes, right? Like every single broadcast is like, um, oh, he's now number one in the league in minutes since uh, since AD went down. I just like, and people are comparing this to like the Kobe year, right? Where like Kobe played a bunch of minutes and then tore his Achilles. I watched that full season. I watched, I'm watching this full season. These minutes aren't the same that like I'm watching LeBron and he is not, he's playing 40 minutes, but he is not going for 40 minutes. Like he's, He's taking his time. He's, you know, he's he's uh, taking breaks on defense, taking breaks on offense. Like I, I have no concern. Like if he wants to play the full seventy-two, I don't have like an issue with it. Um, I would like him to rest a few, but I don't have an issue. Do you like? Do you have a problem with his minutes? I feel like he's fine. I don't think these minutes are too heavy on him. Maybe the overtimes I would like to like, you know, keep down. I don't think we need to be in overtime every night. I don't think he should be going into overtime trying to trying to win every night. But uh, what do you think about the minutes that are that are going on for him? that he's averaging i don't care at all i mean i i think I've, i may have said this to you at some point in the past as well but like i'm a big believer and you just listen to your body like you know mm-hmm. uh i we are a time obsessed society it's actually a conversation <laughs> i was having with my my wife last night we were talking about something completely unrelated but like like so like so many like old-fashioned business people are obsessed with like butts and seats like this idea that it's like how many hours did you put in how many hours did you put in mm-hmm. and it's funny because i i run my own business and like everything that I do is not based on an hourly basis. It's based on what I accomplish. Like, what did right. I actually get done today? Because that's the only thing that's paying me at the end. And it's funny because that's, that's a hundred percent how I feel about physical activity. Like, you know, uh, uh, at, it's not about how many minutes you work out or how many calories you might burn through whatever it is you're doing. It's about like, what are you accomplishing while you're doing it? And, and that's the thing with LeBron. It's like, you know, he knows uh, how much energy he's expended, how much uh, impact his joints have taken, how what kind of recovery he needs. Like he he actually had a comment that he said, I think it was two games ago against Washington, where he's like, uh, he said something, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something along the lines of like, my advisors have told me what I'm doing is okay. I can't remember exactly yeah. what it was, but it was something along those lines. And I, I believe, I, I think, you know, when people talk about LeBron, no, he invests a, a million dollars into his body every year. You know, you realize what all that money's going to? It's going to like nutrition and it's going to recovery and it's going to advisors and it's going to medical professionals that are giving him opinions on what he's doing. And, you know, I just think like, like, I, I, I do think that like if he pushes himself to the point where he's got kind of a bang up type of injury and he's still going, that that's dumb. But he hasn't led us to believe anything like that's going on. Uh, right. where I would sit him is like, especially in this grueling, what do they have eight back to backs or something like that? Nine back to backs in the next, uh, in the next half yeah. of the season. So if he tweaks his ankle and you see him go down and, and tighten up his shoe. And then he says after the game, like, Oh, I'm playing tomorrow night in Memphis. I'd be like, yeah, it doesn't seem smart. But the, uh, as far as what he's doing now, as long as he's not banged up, he's fine. It's just, he needs to listen to his body. And like, dude, you know, I've had a couple of stress reactions, one in my knee and one in my foot. Uh, one was in, when I was in college, one was after college, like your body tells you like you're like when I actually had the bad foot one, like my foot was feeling a little funky for a while. I just didn't listen to it. You know, like your body communicates with you 
uh, and tells you when you're experiencing wear and tear injuries, you know, whether it's tendonitis or a little bit of pain in one, in one spot or whatever it is. And so I, as long as he's listening to those things, I, I, I trust him and I'm not worried about it. Like I, I, you know, a lot of people were saying he should take the game against Utah off. Yeah. And I would have said, okay, fine. In the sense that I had thought they had no chance to win. Uh, but like he likes playing basketball and he probably saw it as an opportunity to keep his body in shape or, or whatever yeah. it is, you know, he takes, pr- he takes pride in it too, right? Like he's taking obviously some kind of pride. Um, I don't know if it's the MVP chase or whatever, but he wants to play all the games and who am I to say like, no, you need to rest this one game, you know, and take these 30 minutes off. And he's like, what difference does that make in a whole season? So, um, he's going to get the all-star break too coming up, uh, or some kind of break. He's going to play in the game obviously, but yeah, I'm fine with his minutes. I just don't like, I see a lot of uproar and I feel like the minutes kind of don't tell the whole story. Obviously, like you always say, you need to always take context into it. And, uh, he's playing 40 minutes, but I feel like 20 of those are kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to help right here because I (laughs) don't want to, or yeah, I'm not closing out on a guy that I just don't respect as a shooter. And, you know, things like that. He does all game, which I totally fine with. He's LeBron James. He shouldn't be going uh, full force the whole night. So yeah, I'm not, I have no problem with his minutes. He's number one in minutes right now. I think that will level out when AD comes back. Shooter, obviously um, be able to play with him. He's back down to like 34 a game or whatever. Yeah. And he's still, I think got a career low in minutes, even with all the, like, uh, even with the craziness that's happened now. So I, I think he's fine. Uh, what was your third silver lining? So my third silver lining is that the shooting can't get any worse. Like this, there's no way that it can get any worse <laughs> at all. So in the last six games, which is really what AD has missed, um, we're one in five, right? The only uh, the only win uh, was against Minnesota, I believe. Um, and so the Lakers are shooting 29% from three. Now, like, I know that that seems bad. What makes it worse is, like, most of these are catch and shoot. Like, as you said, LeBron's creating the most open looks um, that the Lakers have had. Um, and they're just breaking threes. Wes Matthews had a bunch last night where they just went in and out. KCP is starting to get a little bit on track. But, again, he went cold, I think, last uh, last night. And then, um, yeah, so I, I don't think this can get any worse. Um, I, we, we saw this. I think you bring up the bubble shooting a lot where the Lakers went really cold. Um, I saw someone <laughs> tweet out. I forgot who it was. They're like, oh, Utah has the third through ten best players if you rank, if you rank the teams. And, obviously, that's not how basketball works. But that's just a – product of the shooting the lakers make a couple more shots that tweet doesn't go up so mm-hmm. uh it, yeah it's just it's just funny looking at so i don't think it can get any worse like they're just shooting all awful from everywhere um especially from three-point line and that just clogs everything up there's nothing open uh these guys they're running i think i see people like oh vogel needs to switch up the offensive scheme i'm like these dudes are coming off curls and they just don't respect them no one's gonna no one's running to chase West Matthews off the line. No one's running to chase Caruso, KCP right now. And you have guys just clogging the paint. I don't, I don't know what different scheme is going to do anything. I don't know what kind of like uh, different flares or anything is going to work. So that's my silver lining here. It can't get any worse. Maybe it will. Maybe they shoot one for 20 tonight from three. But I just I just don't think uh, it can get any worse than it is right now. So nowhere to go but up for the shooting. I agree with you. Uh, and, and to me, there's a whole other element to this. Like the reason why I compare it to the bubble is, you know, in the bubble seeding games, there were massive effort problems for the Lakers. And yeah. the reason why I think things turned around and like the, in every pivotal game of that playoff run, the Lakers shot really well. And I think one of the biggest reasons why is, again, it's a cascading effect. Like when things got, you know, when it got to nut, cr- nut crunching time, uh, LeBron and AD put immense pressure on the rim uh, right. uh, by virtue of just them like being super engaged on the offensive end when the, when, when it gets really get down to the really important moments of these uh, playoff series. 
And when you put immense pressure on the rim, the defense reacts, and all of a sudden your shot quality is just amazing. And, you know, I I always talk about the law of diminishing returns when I talk about teams like Brooklyn. You know, uh, Kyrie Irving is 50 times better than Wesley Matthews at creating three-point shots for himself. However, if Wesley Matthews is wide open in the corner, he's going to hit it at a much closer rate to Kyrie. Uh, than he would as like some crazy step back shot. And so, you know, people worry about the quality of the shooters on the Lakers. But when you get into these, you know, really intense playoff series and LeBron and AD and Dennis Schroeder really dial up the offensive intensity and put a ton of pressure on the rim, the Lakers are just going to get insanely good shot quality. And that's why, like, you know, they go into the Miami Heat series and they're like, oh, you know, after the top two players, you know, Miami has the next seven best guys. And it's like, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, everybody on the Lakers just shoots their lights out that entire series. It's because they're all wide open looks because LeBron and AD physically dominated that series around the paint to create wide open shots. And this goes back to what we were talking about with the Clippers. The Clippers take too many jump shots and they, they, their entire philosophy is outside in Uh, the Lakers. And uh, you know, this is something that I think Utah does a really good job of as well. And Russell Westbrook of late with Washington is doing a really good job of this. When you create three point shots, that are a result of pressure on the rim. They just go in at a higher rate. It's just a simple reality of basketball. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because right now the Lakers only one putting pressure on the rim is LeBron, right? So like these these shots are open, but it's tiring him out and his threes have gone down and he's part of this uh, bad percentage. So I feel like we're just watching the same movie again. We heard this all last year. The Lakers have enough shooting. They have AD LeBron and an awesome defense, which I think is even better than might even be better than last year. They need a baseline level of shooting, right? They need enough shooting where teams have to respect it enough to where like they can't send that help on AD driving to the rim just as much, where they can't help on LeBron getting to the rim just as much. And then when you have, they need one guy hot a game, and it's funny seeing all these dudes go cold at the same time because like if they if this was spread out a little more like Wes Matthew was cold, but KCP has it going, you can kind of work it out a bit more. But they have everyone cold, so it's. And they're losing them. That just makes them lose the math game every night. Um, and I think I think Utah had eight threes in the first quarter, um, made made eight threes in the first quarter. And the Lakers, I think, took like eleven for the half, or just some crazy, you know, math question. That and it was crazy to see that they were only down. Someone said, "I can't believe they're down sixteen only because they were just losing the math game like crazy." So yeah, that, that should that should turn a back. Good job of chasing guys off the three point line. That's kind of their yeah. defense principle. Which, by the way, the Lakers do the same thing. Um, yeah, but that, that that tells me just logically that their help defenders are a little more keen to chase people off the line instead of overhelp, and it yeah. works because Rudy Gobert's in the paint. Um, mm-hmm. But if you notice, Marcus Saul was just shooting wide open threes in that game because uh, Rudy didn't uh, respect him. When they go five uh, AD at the five, uh, you're going to yeah. have to respect them out there. And and guess what? You've got a team that overhelps on the three point line. It's going to be Dennis Schroeder and LeBron to the rim all the time. It's going to be something yeah. that they. Yeah, I was frustrated because Mark hit like two threes in a row. And I'm like, you have that every single time. Like, it was the same play. He needs to. Yeah, LeBron uh, comes off the pick, does that little behind-the-back uh, back pass to Mark at the top of the three. He hit one. They ran the exact same play. He hit another. And then the next play, LeBron did the same thing. He decided to, like, fake swing. And I'm like, Mark, just take the shot. You just hit two in a row. Like, just – I know you're an unselfish, you know, passer. I know this, but, like, just, just shoot it again. Rudy's not going to defend you. And, again, AD is going to, you know – 
pump fake, drive to the rim, step back, whatever. He's going to do all this stuff when, when that matters. And he takes that matchup personally as well for some reason. So, um, yeah, I'm glad he does. I'm glad he does. But yeah, Mark needs to take those, man, especially right now. LeBron needs uh, any kind of help he can get. And Mark's, Mark's a good enough shooter, in my opinion. Like, he's not the shooter he's shown so far. Like, he's not this he's bad. He's a little he's better like, as a fight, I think. He, he is, yeah. And he's taking more, too. And uh, he's taking, like, I think he, like you always say, it's tough to, like, take one when it's, like, the third quarter when you haven't shot all game, you know, like, you're not in any kind of rhythm. So, uh, I'm glad he's taking yeah, I'm glad he's taking more. He's even like posting up a little bit. He shot like a fadeaway over Rudy Gobert, which didn't go in. But I just like him taking shots. I have no problem with him being aggressive anytime. He's so unselfish that he's never going to ball hog or, or, you know, be a black hole on offense. So I, I like him to be more aggressive. Especially with what, uh, um, uh, especially with what they're working with offensively right now. So yeah. uh, Marcus over his last 10 games is 43% from three on four attempts a game. So that's, that's something good, yeah. that's something to uh, to be uh, to keep an eye on. That's positive. Yeah. So we have uh, one question in our comments. You and I actually already touched on this, but I want to just quick reiterate so that we can mm-hmm. make sure that we get to our listeners. Um, I think this is from Joe. Um, question: Does LeBron's age have any, have anything to do with it being tougher for him to create shots now? Just seems to be a little tougher for him this year, or am I way off? So you and I talked about this earlier. My take on it is just uh, uh, kind of that cascading effect of their limited offensive personnel right now, allowing the primary defender to be a little bit up into LeBron's grill in a way that normally they can't, and just a lot of help. Uh, LeBron's overall shot quality that he's getting right now is lower than it normally is, and that's going to just naturally manifest in uh, him having to to uh, take tougher shots, and he's gonna and he's gonna miss some. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. He's like, he really took out that, you know, he had that, like, people would laugh at it. It became like a meme or whatever. He would stare at the ball um, before he takes that. Yeah, before that step back three. He really took that out for the most part this year. Um, I'm kind of seeing that come back a little bit because it's just no space. He's, every time he drives to the rim, there's three bodies. And then when he kicks it out, no one's making a shot or people are holding. Um, and so he's having to go to that more. Um, that shot's coming back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's taking a lot of tough ones. He's like getting to the mid range. Um, teams are switching in and he's just having to take tough step, step back mid range ones. So I, I think he's fine. He's, he's taking tougher shots right now, but um, like you said, he's in the best physical shape that I've maybe seen him as a Laker. He's, he's still gets- the most important thing. Yeah, and he's still getting to the rim when he wants. Um, I don't think, Rudy, like I said before, Rudy Gobert really changed much. Uh, I thought that at Washington as well. Um, the Lakers went down four, and he just decided, I'm going to get to the rim, and got like N ones and sent the game into overtime, I think. So, um, yeah, I think he's fine. Yeah, so, and the thing too is like he's he's over, he, I just looked it up, he's 52% since AD went down. So it's not like he's missing a ton of shots. I mean, he's he's shooting poorly from the perimeter, but he's still getting quality shots from the post and in the, uh, in and around the basket. His scoring numbers are down. Uh, he's at 26 points per game since the AD injury, but that, that tells you all you need to know because if they were guarding him straight up, uh, by virtue of the limitations of the other personnel, he'd be taking a lot more shots and he'd have a lot more points. And it, that just right. that shows you that he's he's being guarded heavily as a result of the lack of talent. Now, the uh, um, the the real the one thing that I would nitpick him on is I think he needs to do a better job taking care of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but I do think part of that is just like it, he's playing with limited offensive players and he's trying to make something out of nothing. And I really yeah. think that's um, another question. Let's see. The Lakers are obviously going to take a look at that buyout trade market. Who should be on the list? What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. They just wave Quinn Cook, right? Shout out Quinn Cook. Uh, 
who's an awesome Laker here. But uh, yeah, they waived him, so they have two spots available. Um, a lot of people said, you know, Boogie Cousins. I mean, I, I feel like he would be like the last option. I, I feel like they need an, one more shooter maybe, and then maybe another like a wing defender would be nice. I don't really know who's on the market. Um, I saw Glenn Robinson the third. I think, just got released. I think he'd be like an okay pickup. Uh, I, I really don't know who else would really help because what we're talking about here is playoffs, right? Like you're, you don't want to get, you don't want to get players for like in the AD injury that's coming out right now. You don't want to sign a guy because of this little stretch um, that they've been missing. So you need guys who are going to play in the playoffs. And I really don't know who's available for that. I think they're going to wait um, for the full buyout market and see who gets available. Um, I, I like a guy like Trevor Reza. I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, uh, I don't have a problem with Boogie if, like he's if they don't sign anyone and they just want to keep him on um and so uh yeah uh, i feel like that would be my choice how about you so okay a couple of quick questions came through chris stapps and uh hassan whiteside i don't first of all as far as chris stapps goes no one no lakers aren't getting any major key piece that's not happening uh Mm -hmm. i would not touch hassan whiteside with a 10-foot pole um Mm -hmm. i don't think they need a big either and this kind of goes to my answer the question which is like i you know, first of all, NBA history tells us that buyout guys primarily choose based on minutes, um, right? Because they're basketball players and they like to play basketball. Like there's so many examples as of late where teams that are uh, where play, a player would come available in the buyout market. You'd be like, oh, I bet you he goes to the Lakers, or I bet you he goes to sign with the Cavs in Cleveland or whatever it is, and they end up going to like Milwaukee or some random team that truly needs that piece to play big minutes. And so right. when I look at the buyout market, it's like, you know, the Laker rotation is 11 deep now and, and they're going to shrink that when, uh, when, when all the guys get back. So, or in the playoffs. So when you look at it, it's going to be the guards, like it's going to be KCP, Wes, Caruso, Dennis, and then it's going to be, that's four. And then it's going to be LeBron, Kuzma, Anthony Davis, and Trez. That's eight. And then Marcus Gasol's probably going to play. That's nine guys. So it's like, who are you kicking out of the rotation? And, right. and so, so from that standpoint, it's like, I doubt they'll be able to get any really quality buyout pieces by virtue of just the limited minutes that are available. And then secondly, it's like, you don't, you don't necessarily need them. Um, if, if, I, if I had to, gun to my head, think of something that they could get, it'd be a shooter. Uh, the idea there is like, you're having issues with spacing. You know, some of your other guards are cold. And your idea is, is like, okay, if I have Anthony Davis, LeBron, Dennis Schroeder, and KCP out there, uh, mm-hmm. and those four are so good defensively, then maybe I can fit in, you know, a limited defensive, a defensive player that can knock down shots, and we could just cover for him, and hopefully it just opens things up, uh, yeah. uh, you know, at certain stretches of the game. But I just, you know, the Lakers are in good shape with their roster. They really are. I know it's hard to, yeah. to see that. It's hard to see the forest for the trees right now, but <laughs> I, I really do think they're in good shape. Yeah. Um, we'll take one more. Let's see. Do we need to focus on getting a bigger or three and D wing if given a choice? So we just we just talked about that. So basically, you know, more or less, we think they need shooting. I yeah. don't. I don't think they need a big because in the playoffs they use their bigs less anyway. And Mark and Trez and AD are enough, uh, especially since LeBron plays the four, you know, uh, really well when it comes right. to that point. Uh, you got anything else, man? I think that's it. This was fun. Uh, this was exciting. Uh, it was good to good to go through this and do this uh, do this weekly. So thank you to everyone who who tuned in as well. Heck yeah, we got the the podcast version will be up here, and uh, I'll do it right away. So give me like fifteen minutes. 
Uh, Raj, I really appreciate you, man. I'm really looking forward to doing this. I'm glad we found a time in our schedules that work. Everybody else, yeah. we will see you next week. Awesome.